I believe, and I've believed this most of my life, but after I became a Christian, it really was solidified in my heart. Friends can make or break you. Part of that's because I've always been intrinsically part of my behavioral pattern, particularly in the past, was very social. I, I am influenced easily by my peers. And oftentimes, my peers influence me more than I influence them. And that would typically lead one of two directions, either in a very good and a very positive fashion, or oftentimes in a very negative and a self-destructive fashion. I believe friends can make or break you. And I think the Apostle John understands that. I think he gets that, and that's why he's addressing that in 1 John, in chapter 4, in verse 11, because he's continuing his theme of love. And we talked last week about unwavering love, and this week I'm talking about unwavering friends. If you're going to pick friends, these are the kinds of friends that I think take you on the, the good paths, the kind of friends that stop you before you get into danger. I was coming back, it was actually the middle of the summer, we had done some work up at the ranch coming up out of what we call the low place. It's an area that floods regularly, and we got stuck. We had managed to bury one of the ATVs in the mud, and we're coming back up, and we're starting up into the hills. And I have two best friends that I've historically done this kind of activity with, and one's in heaven now, I'm with the other one. And we start up into the woods, and he wants to cut to the side, which will take us about a mile out of the way to follow the road. And I said, brilliantly, well, if we just cut right through here, it's, it'll be a whole lot shorter. This, this will take us straight up the hill. And I'm walking, and we, and we get about 20 yards in, and this, this particular area of Texas is extremely thick with yopon and mesquite and just about every other kind of plant you don't want. And we get about 20 yards in, and you can't, you're already, you're so deep into the thicket, you can't see which direction to go. I mean, you literally can't see more than a few feet ahead of you. And I'm thinking, maybe this wasn't the best idea. And about that time, my best friend, he turns to me and says, James, this wasn't one of your better ideas. Now, here's the difference in my two best friends. The other one was always kind of quiet. He wouldn't have said anything. And we ended up having to call for some kind of extraction because we re regularly got lost in the woods and have to call for somebody to help us get out. This best friend, he didn't even say anything much either other than, James, I don't think this was one of your best ideas. And he turned around and headed back to the road. Whether I was gonna head back to the road or not, I had to make a choice. Forge on and get lost or follow him and do the more logical things. Now, in those environments, it's fun. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason a lot of us who love the outdoors and a lot of us who love hunting, we love it because of the stories. It's actually really nothing to do with the actual activity. It's about all the conversations that follow afterwards. And there's more conversation when you get lost than there is when you just make the right decisions. But in life, wrong decisions can have catastrophic consequences. Surrounding ourselves with friends that help us make the right decisions will always help us, assist us, prosper us, and make our lives successful and oftentimes, honestly, more safe. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at the characteristics, the type of friendships that are unwavering, the types of friendships that assist us and help us and carry us through life. In verse 11, so it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John's little letter to his church friends. 
The very first one I want to point out are what I'm calling engaging friendships. People who help us love. We're engaged. They help us. They assist us. They help us understand love. And more particularly, the love of God. In verse 11, John says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Quite honestly, when I became a believer, all I knew about God was what my friends had told me. I hadn't read the Bible. I hadn't attended church. I didn't have that kind of a background. I didn't know that kind of a background. But I watched and I listened. I saw and I heard what they were doing. And I saw how they loved one another. And I saw how they interacted with one another. And it drew me to them. And they helped me understand love and they help me understand the love of God. And if God has loved me that deeply, as we just sang, if God has taken this child who has gone astray and reconciled the depths of my sin with his love, then it simply makes sense for us to love one another. Have our lives with, filled with engaging friends, with people who help us love. Because sometimes we need that assistance. Sometimes it's a difficult day and having someone nice. Sometimes it's maybe a set of circumstances or environments. Maybe we're dealing with health issues. Maybe we're dealing with financial issues. Maybe we're dealing with work issues. And maybe we're dealing with broken relationships. And love feels elusive at best, if not completely escaped and no longer a part of our reality. And a friend steps into our life, and because of the depth of the love they have with God and understand from God, they're able to love us and help us love. And we can go through the worst crisis. We can go through the worst tragedies if we understand that we're loved by God and if we see and understand that love tangibly in our friendships, we'll survive. We, we are social by nature, all of us, even the most introverted and the most analytical in our crowd, even the, those actually understand, grasp, and want to be loved and want to love. Find friendships that help us love. Find friendships that are revealing friendships. They help us see. Find people who help us see. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. See, my case, my story may be a little more obvious because I had not done any religious activities up until the point I met Jesus. And so I had no background. But the reality is, even the kid who grows up in church, the kid who's in children's service right now, the kid who's over in the preschool learning everything about God's love this morning, they're making hearts and they're making cutouts and designs and things to take home to mom and to dad. They're, all they're hearing about in preschool this morning is the love of God. Even that child hasn't seen God. John is honest. He says, look, no one has seen God. And here's the catch, though. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete, or that word can literally mean perfected. His love is perfected in us. Now, this seems so simple, but churches miss this so many times. If we want a world to believe in an unseen God. And if we fundamentally believe that the world is a better place when people are reconciled with an unseen God, 
If we believe that the best future in store is in a home, the house of God in eternity for all time, for the infinite nature of time, and we want them to know that future based on an unseen God, then it becomes incumbent upon us to find the best ways to make God visible. And John's real clear. He, he believes with all his heart and he's in his, he's, his birthday's a lot further down the road than mine. So he's much older and he's, and he's looking back over his life and he recognizes no one has seen God. But yet if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made perfected in us. The clearest way any one of our friends the clearest way our society, the clearest way our schools, the clearest way our workplaces, the clearest way our own households will ever see an unseen God is if we love one another. I mean, we, we invest, like everybody else, a lot of money and time and effort into marketing and, and communication and publicity because we want people to know what God's doing in our church. And we, and we believe the greatest solution to every sort of circumstances or problem is by being reconciled with God through his forgiveness and his unbelievable mercy and grace. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there have been people who thought that kind of things were wrong in the past, but scripture is clear. Use any and every method possible to help somebody understand how deeply Jesus loves them. That's what God wants us to do. But in the forefront of all of that activity, never forget the clearest representation of God will never be digital. It'll never be on paper. It'll be in relationship. When we love one another, the obvious fact that God is living in us and remaining in us and his love is working its completion in us, that becomes obvious so now the world can see God and his love through his church, through his children, through his people to set a whole new standard for love. I want, I want relationships that help people, help me see God in them, and let others see God in me. But it's empowering friendships, a popular word right now in our culture, empowering friendships. I believe empowering friendships are the friendships that help us mature. This is how that we know that we remain in him and, and he in us, John says in, in verse 13. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. We, we've experienced this. We know this. Yes, God is unseen. Nobody's ever seen him. But yet the working out of reconciliation through God's love in Jesus and his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, we, we have actually seen the effects, the results, and the reality of that. We've seen that. And we know that Jesus is the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who makes that decision to cross the line and say, yes, I believe in Jesus as God's Son, as the one who can forgive me. I believe, I confess that, I acknowledge that. It becomes a part of my life. Well, then God remains in him, and he, us, remain in God. And we have come to know and believe, in verse 16, we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us and that God is love, that he himself, his, his very character, his very nature is love, which is a huge theme for John. 
He wants us to constantly be reminded it's not because we love God first, it's because God loved us first. It's not because God decided to love. God already was love. God is the full embodiment of love. And when we know him and he lives in us and through us, then we experience that love. That God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And God remaining in us, other biblical words to describe that are words like abide or live or walk or conversation. It's the idea that God is living in, through, and around us. We're in a relationship. Meeting Jesus is not a religious decision. Meeting Jesus is not a church decision. Meeting Jesus is a relationship decision. It says, I'm going to believe that Jesus is everything he claims to be, which is everything, because he's God. And I'm going to ask him to forgive me and be a part of my life and live in me. But like all relationships, there is a huge difference between meeting and maturing. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm on the maturing side of the equation, at least chronologically, if not emotionally and intellectually. Every relationship I have is distinctly different over time. And my relationship with Jesus is distinctly different over time. Not because I am a professional religious person or a professional teacher, particularly of Scripture, but because I've grown in that relationship. I've, I've, that relationship has grown in its depth. We've gone through things together. I mean, God and I have experienced horrible moments together as well as great moments together. And all of that brings maturity. But at the end of the day, the single greatest assistance to my maturity has never been my study. It's always been my friendships. All along throughout my life, I can chronicle periods of time where somebody mentored, where somebody spoke life, where somebody inter interacted, where somebody listened when I needed to, to let go of some things in my life. We want friendships. We want friendships that will work in our hearts and our lives and will help us mature. Those are empowering friendships. The friendships like your Bible study teachers and like your small group leaders and, and like the directors of different classes and different ministries and programs, and like your friends who call you up and say, let's do this. Like teachers who express wisdom, a number of our teachers on their own because we've learned how to do Bible study and we don't have to have a facility to do Bible study anymore. We've learned how to do that in this generation and we've been capable of doing it. And as the weather got worse and worse and predictions got worse and worse, we had several of our classes, at least three of them, that moved to exclusively online classes today. They made those decisions. Your teachers made those decisions. Your directors made those decisions and you should thank them because they made those decisions because they care about you. But they weren't going to let maturity slip away. And so they came up with new and creative options to make sure as their friends, you would mature. Empowering friendships, people who help us mature. Assuring friendships, people who help us finish. Verse 17 and verse 18 refers to the end of all time when we're done with this world, when we have shed all the issues of this world and we're standing before God and we're in his presence unfiltered. We've been in his presence as we prayed and as we worshiped this morning. Pastor Cody, as he was praying this morning with our group as we were preparing for the service, he prayed that we would sense your, to God's presence in our midst as we opened our hearts to worship. 
But this is that final moment when there's no filter, when there's no blanket, when there's no veil, when there's no smoky glass or mirror, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're in God's presence. And I love John's thought because I think, for me, there's sometimes a mistake. A lot of times, historically, we've pressured and pushed about how fearful that moment would be if you don't know Jesus. And honestly, I don't think any of us would want to stand in the presence of God apart from the fact that Jesus has enabled us by his righteousness to overcome our unrighteousness to be in God's presence. And that's John's perspective. In this love, in verse 17, love is made complete in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence in the day of judgment. Not concern or or worry or anxiety. Not trembling in fear, but trembling in anticipation and hope. This is the moment we've waited for. This is the culmination of our faith in the presence of our loving, caring Heavenly Father. In that moment, we have confidence because as he is, so also we are in this world because he's living through us. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. And this is an abject, overwhelming sense of fear and dread because you don't know the love of God. If there's any apprehension, it's appropriate in that final moment because we're all unworthy to be in God's holy, perfect presence. But the remedy for that inadequacy was found on the cross when Jesus gave his life, shed his blood so that you and I could be literally cleansed, have our sin removed beyond that trajectory of maturity and be anticipating finishing in the presence of God. You know the real experience in life. You're gonna go see your grandparents. Maybe you haven't seen them for a while. You're looking forward to it. I talked to one of our young families a couple weeks ago. They were leaving. They were going to go see, I think, four out of five of their grandparents. And all the conversation was about how excited they were to be in the presence of their loving, caring grandparents. There wasn't trepidation. Am I going to be judged? Am I going to be, you know, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be difficult? Am I going to be shamed? They didn't have that trepidation because they knew the history and the background of how deeply their grandparents loved them and they were looking forward to it. God's loved us more than anybody else ever. Why wouldn't I look forward to being in the presence, unfiltered, of the one who has loved me deeper and greater than anyone else. And this assuring friendship takes the time to remind me, these people who helped me finish remind me I have something to look forward to. I can anticipate crossing the tape. I can anticipate walking through the threshold of heaven, walk past and ignore that gate of pearl because who cares at that point? I just want to see Jesus people who help us finish. And then genuine friendships, people who help us to be real. John's pretty blunt at times, and he's extremely accurate in his thoughts. We love, in verse 19, we love because he first 
loved us. Again, the reminder, we didn't make this happen. God made this happen. Jesus made this happen, not us. We responded, we reacted to that love, and we know that love. But sometimes people think they know, and they don't. And John clearly addresses the number one complaint about the church in the world today, and that is our hypocrisy. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. I wish John would just tell us what he's really thinking. It's flat out. If you cannot walk around saying, I love God, and then despise the God's people and the people around you in your life. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. For John, this is real simple. If you can't love the person who's immediately in front of you, who you can visually see at this moment, then don't tell me you love an unseen, unbelievable God. Because you can't even do the natural thing for a human being. You're that far off track. He is seen, cannot, who he has not seen, and we have this command from him. That's why God tells us to live up to these expectations. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. I want genuine friendships. I want friendships, I want people in my life who help me be real. And I want that specifically and mostly in my loving relationships. It's in our core values as a church. We want, we strive for, and we experience authentic relationships. We don't ever want to be the place that says, oh, God's so great. He's so wonderful. Praise you, Yahweh. Praise you, Jehovah. You know, memorize all those old Hebrew names. God answers to anything. Lord, look at me. I'm so holy. I'm so great. I love you so much. Oh, gosh, Alan, I can't stand you. It's hypocrisy at its greatest level if we say we love God and we don't love the people in our lives. I, I do love Alan, by the way. Genuine friendships, the people who help us be real. Are we perfect? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes, all the time. Do we love? Absolutely. We love in spite of our mistakes. Why? Because Jesus was the first one that said, look, I'm going to take you as messed up as you are. I'm going to take you just as you are. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. And then he promises to help us change and mature. We love God, which means we absolutely have to, but it's not have to anymore. It's not a, it doesn't feel like it. Does it feel like a command to love? I don't think so. I think it's a natural byproduct. Jesus has changed our hearts and that change has caused us to love one another. And we have that option every day of the year, not just on Valentine's Day. Let us love, because God has first loved us. Let's prepare to worship again. I'm going to bring the team back up. Thank you again for being with us on live stream. Thanks for, for being safe and be careful this afternoon. Look for opportunities to love this week. Everybody wants to be loved. And the greatest love is God's. And so if we have the opportunity this week to love somebody, we have the opportunity to show them God's love. Let's have those inviting conversations where, where we encourage people to experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Let's have those conversations this week.
because we know what God's love is like. And it's, it's big enough and broad enough we can share it with everybody in our lives. I would deeply encourage you, particularly our young people, particularly our students, find these kind of friends. But I'd also encourage all of us, be these kinds of friends.